This week on the podcast, we're covering the fallout from WrestleMania 39, as well as the WWE is no longer the McMahon family business, and you know we're covering the week in wrestling. This is What About Wrestling. What about it, pro wrestling fans, and welcome back to another episode of What About Wrestling. I'm your host, Dylan Roberts, and this week on the podcast, we're going to be covering the fallout from WrestleMania 39. Where do we go from here? As well as Endeavor, the company that bought the UFC in 2016, has now bought a majority stake in the WWE, and you know we're covering the week in wrestling as we always do. But first, before we get started, I want to say congrats to our giveaway winner. We finally got a winner over on Instagram for the Deluxe Edition copy of WWE 2K23. There's going to be more giveaways to come. If you're interested in winning one of those giveaways, make sure you go over to Instagram and follow WA Wrestling Pod, and I will be doing more giveaways over there, as well as, if you don't mind, Follow us on all forms of social media. We're really easy to find. If you type in What About Wrestling on social media, I don't care if it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you're going to find us there. So make sure you go follow us as well as, I know you're listening to this on a podcast platform, make sure you hit the follow or subscribe button on there as well. And on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a five-star review. That helps us out a ton. I just wanted to remind you guys of all those things because that's what kind of keeps this podcast rolling, guys. I do this for fun. I do this to kind of get my creative juices out, get some things about wrestling off of my chest. But I hope to grow this community, and that's how we're going to do it. And that's how we're also going to continue to do giveaways. If you want more giveaways, you need to tell your friends about us. Like, share, comment on the page. Tell everyone you know about us so we can do some more of those giveaways. I want to start this podcast out by saying that this podcast, I'm afraid, is going to feel like a Vince McMahon, I don't know, like hate podcast. I don't hate Vince McMahon. I am very thankful for Vince McMahon. I think I said on the podcast not too long ago that if it wasn't for Vince McMahon, that pro wrestling as we know it probably wouldn't exist. It definitely wouldn't exist in the way that we know it today. Vince has meant so much to the wrestling business. And for a very long time, Vince was a creative genius. Don't get me wrong. He took some missteps every year of his career in creative. Vince has done something wrong. But for the most part, Vince has a very good batting average whenever it comes to creative. I just think that Vince's creative time has kind of passed him by. So before we get started, I just wanted to say that I want to let, you know, let it be known that I do still love Vince McMahon as far as what he's done for the pro wrestling industry. Now, his personal life it is what it is. I don't care about Vince McMahon, the human being, have no interest in, in any of that. That doesn't concern me. I mean, I don't think one way or another, I don't have an opinion. I don't want to be political on this podcast. Of course, I feel a certain way about certain things, but I don't think that that's what this podcast is about. So we're not going to get into any of that. But I do think Triple H has done a very good job over the last eight months. So we'll get into all that. Um, I was going to record this podcast Monday night after Raw just to kind of encapsulate the whole weekend that was WrestleMania. 
But, man, Raw was so bad that it really took a lot of the wind out of my sails. And I didn't want to come onto this podcast and just spew a bunch of hate and spew a bunch of negativity. Because I've said since day one on this podcast that this is a podcast of positivity. I don't want a bunch of negative things on here. That's why a lot of weeks I don't even cover AEW because I don't want to come off as some jaded, bitter WWE mark whenever there are things about AEW that I enjoy. So I just tend to just not cover it. Um, A lot of weeks that's just because I don't even get the chance to watch it. So I don't want this podcast to be a negative thing. So I ended up waiting. I let the whole week pass by. I watched SmackDown tonight to see if it was any different, which it was. It was... It felt like if Triple H was to write a not-so-good episode of wrestling. Triple H can make mistakes too, guys. Hey, and Triple H may have wrote Raw Monday. None of us know otherwise. I mean, it would lead you to believe, the way that Raw was written, it would lead you to believe that maybe he wasn't the one that wrote Raw. But, again, we'll get into that here in just a second. We'll go ahead and get started on the week in wrestling. But a couple things I want to cover before we get into this week in wrestling. I didn't watch AEW again this week. I just cannot seem to find time to do it. This week, I actually wanted to watch it. I wanted to see what was going on. Apparently, Tony Tony Khan was going to have some kind of big announcement, and I wanted to hear what it was, even though most of his big announcements are announcements that they could just make over social media, and he doesn't have to make this big deal about it and have it on TV. I don't understand why he does that a lot of times. This one, though, did deserve attention. I've seen some people online saying, well, why don't they just make a press release about this? I think that this is one of the ones that he should have had on TV. AEW is going across the pond to the UK. They are going to Wembley Stadium. Now, Wembley Stadium can hold roughly 90,000 people in it. So I just want to say shout out to AEW for shooting for the moon. That is a huge undertaking. And all in is going to be. In Wembley Stadium, man, that is just such a big deal to me. First off, I just want to say congratulations to them for even attempting this. I hope that it sells out. I hope that they sell. Realistically, I'm really hoping that they sell around 60,000 tickets. I mean, if they sell all 90 or whatever it can hold, I think that's like a guesstimation on how many people it can hold, obviously. But if they can sell 60,000 tickets, man, would that be good for pro wrestling. Man, would that be fantastic for AEW, but man, would that be good for wrestling as a whole. So that's what I want to see. I did see Dave Meltzer say if they sold 30, that it would be considered a huge success. So I'm hoping for double that. You know, honestly, if they sold 30,000 tickets, that would be cool. But I don't know if I would consider that a huge success for them. They're at the stage now where they're kind of past that stage of being like, oh, well, we're the new company. And You know, we're not getting the views and all this kind of stuff because we haven't been around for 70 years or whatever the excuse has been over the last three or four years. I think that that time period is kind of coming to an end for them. So I'm really hoping that they do well. I want to see them do really, really well over there. Um, That's the only thing I've got from AEW this week. Um, One note from NXT. I got a chance to watch a little bit of the Stand and Deliver pay-per-view. I thought it was pretty good. It wasn't the old takeover pay-per-views that we used to get all the time. Um, Those WrestleMania takeovers used to bang. Those WrestleMania takeovers in the day, um, back around, I don't know, 2016, 2017, 2018 time period, they were so, so, so good. 
Um, the storytelling going in was great. And then the entering work when we would get to those takeovers, which would match or be better than the storytelling itself. They would tell the stories in the ring while being very flashy and over the top and flipping and flopping and flying around. So, you know, you know that that's not really my style. If you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, I'm a fan of working a hold and I'm a fan of working a body part. But some of those NXT shows, they would do that and they would do a lot of high spots and things of that nature. So I used to love that. But coming out of the NXT pay-per-view this week on um, NXT, their live show on Tuesday, it was pretty interesting. Braun Breaker ended up seemingly turning heel. So it's going to be cool to see him in a, in a heel in a, a heel kind of character. I don't know if he'll go like completely just like 180, go completely heel, because Braun's just kind of aggressive and mean. So... I hope to see kind of like a tweener thing from him that leans a little bit more heel than it does babyface. That's what I'm hoping anyways. So we'll see. I thought that that needed to be noted because there was rumors that Braun was coming up to the main roster. It's looking like he's going to stay down a little bit longer, do this heel run, and then come to the main roster. So pretty exciting stuff coming out of NXT. We'll go ahead and get into Raw. Raw opened with Triple H. Triple H opens the show, and it felt good, you know? It felt like coming out of WrestleMania, after his press conference after WrestleMania, it felt like things were going to continue going in a great direction. Um, he says, I'm here to assure you that we ain't going nowhere. The same WWE you love is going nowhere, like it says at the beginning, then, now, forever, together. This was, you know, the same day as the sale to Endeavor was announced officially. And I think Triple H was just trying to clear up any speculation that Endeavor was going to come in and immediately change things. It's yet to be determined on what is actually going to happen. And watching Raw Monday, it certainly felt like Endeavor may have changed things a little bit. I don't think they intentionally done that. I think that was done by maybe the chairman of the board, Vince McMahon. Um... I don't know where I'm going to talk about this, so I'm just going to head and start talking about it. It felt like Vince wrote this show. It felt like Vince wrote Raw Monday. You know, as I'm watching the show, or the lack thereof, I guess, because I'm not paying a ton of attention to Raw. I'm not super invested in it like I have been in weeks past. And I want it to be because everybody knows the Raw after WrestleMania is the biggest Raw of the year. And you're expecting surprises and debuts or... Even if you don't get those things, you're expecting them to put all their chips out on the table as far as a Raw is concerned. The Raw after WrestleMania, a lot of times, feels like another pay-per-view. It feels like night three of WrestleMania or something. I don't know how to explain it. I mean, if, if you've been a wrestling fan for any amount of time, I know a lot of you that listen to this podcast are kind of lapsed fans that are just now trying to get back into wrestling because you listen to my first episode or whatever that may be, whatever some of you have told me. If this was your first time watching the Raw after WrestleMania in, you know, 15 years or whatever it may be, I feel very sorry for you because you got cheated. You got cheated out of the best Raw every year. Last year's Raw after WrestleMania wasn't good either. I was talking to another one of my friends that came over and watched Raw with me Monday. And I was just kind of like, man, the past couple of years, this Raw has not been good. I don't know what it is. 
Well, this one, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm on Twitter playing around on my phone, not paying attention to Raw because it sucks. And a lot of reports are coming out that Vince is actually changing the show as it's going on. And Vince showed up that day and pretty much rewrote the show. And as the show's going on, he's rewriting it more and more and more and more and more. And we ended up with 35 minutes total worth of wrestling. It was just shy of 36 minutes. 36 minutes of wrestling on a pro wrestling show that is three hours long is just not going to cut it. I don't know how else to put it. I mean, that's just not what I want to see as a wrestling fan. You hear me talk every week on this podcast about how I love storytelling and I love, you know, having a good story behind everything. I don't care if that comes in the way of, you know, promos or matches, but by God, there better be more than 35 minutes worth of matches on a three-hour show. I mean, that's just, that's never going to work. Triple H coming out at the beginning of the show, it gave me high hopes, and then it just went downhill from there until the very end of the show, which it picked back up with something that was incredibly interesting, but apparently the angle that was wrote at the end of the show had been written for months. Again, that's all speculation and rumors. I don't know, but it's kind of hard to ignore the rumors saying that Vince wrote the show whenever, whenever I'm watching it. I definitely feel like I'm not enjoying this, and I have enjoyed Raw every week for the past eight months. Raw has been different every week for the past eight months than it was the three or four years prior to that. Raw has been can't miss for the past eight months. Something was different this week. And when you see all these reports saying that Vince wrote the show, you kind of start to understand why. After Triple H is done in the ring, he introduces Roman Reigns. Roman comes out and tells Hollywood to acknowledge him. As soon as he does, Cody comes down to the ring. Cody says that he wants a rematch later that night for the um, Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Heyman tells him no, but he'll give him a tag match. And in the tag match, his partner of his choosing can never challenge Roman Reigns for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. So that pretty much eliminates everybody except for one person. Whenever Brock Lesnar's music hits, the light bulb goes off in your head and says, oh yeah, that's right. Brock already has that clause. He can't challenge Roman anyway. So why wouldn't he be the guy that is Cody's partner? You just never think that uh, Brock is going to wrestle on Raw. So it didn't come to my head immediately, but when his music hits, it clicks in your head and goes, oh yeah, why not? Why did I not think of him? So he comes down, they set up the match later in that night. Next was Omos defeating Elias in a really quick match. Backstage, the Usos come to see Roman, and Heyman tells them to wait in the plane. Um, pretty typical. We've seen that for the past few weeks. Theory comes out and defeats Rey Mysterio in a match after Rey cuts a promo thanking the fans for the Hall of Fame weekend and whatnot. After the match, Dominic and Damian Priest attack Bad Bunny. In the next match, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens defeat the Street Profits. I was really hoping that maybe we would get a debut tag team right there in that slot. When the Street Profits music hit, I was just kind of like, eh, yeah, I mean, what? okay, I guess. I mean, why not? They're good. This will be a cool match. Honestly, didn't watch a ton of the match. I was kind of on my phone. It was already at this point. I mean, how far are we in? We're not even that far in. And I'm already kind of just like, man, this is just not very good. 
After that match, Seth Rollins does a backstage interview with Kathy Kelly. They go to commercial as Rollins is being played to the ring by his theme song. During his interview, he says, he, he pretty much wraps up the storyline with Logan Paul. He says that he's feeling good after sending Logan Paul and KSI back to the wasteland of social media. Like I said, he tells the DJ to play his song in as he walks to the ring and then it goes to commercial. Whenever it comes back from commercial, Rollins is just standing in the ring as the fans sing his theme song and he just walks to the back. I didn't really love the moment, honestly. I was hoping for something else out of Seth Rollins. I mean, it was a big win. I was kind of hoping that maybe we got a little bit more out of him. I'm ready. I'm already ready to see him in his next storyline. But you guys know that anytime I talk about Seth Rollins, you need to take it with a grain of salt because he is my favorite wrestler. And I'm just going to be biased towards him no matter what. So after that, Lashley defeats Mustafa Ali. In a match that I think was 40 seconds long. Before that, before the actual match, it was uh, backstage. Bobby Lashley says that he has a lot of pent up frustration from not competing at WrestleMania. During that, Bronson Reed interrupts him. He insults Lashley, and Lashley proposes, proposes a fight. Reed says he can't do it tonight, but eventually Lashley will learn his lesson, and then he walks off. Mustafa Ali tells Lashley that he should quit taking no for an answer, and Lashley tells him so she, he should take Ali to the ring and maul him, and Ali says no, and then Lashley just beats him up all the way through Gorilla, all the way to the ring. Next, backstage, Roman asks Paul Heyman if he knew Brock was in the building before he set up the stipulation for the match. Heyman says that it's the day after WrestleMania, and that's normally when Brock takes about six to nine months off. Roman says he's going to smash Cody and Brock, and then we're going to see if Solo Sokoa is actually ready. Which I thought was pretty cool, that line. Especially after, you know, a few weeks of Cody telling us that Solo's not ready, he thinks he's ready, he's not ready. Whenever, as fans, I think we pretty much all want Solo to be ready. I think Solo has gained a huge following of fans. He's definitely gained me as a fan. I love Solo Sokoa. So it was an interesting segment, except for the part where Roman asked Paul Heyman if he knew Brock was going to be in the building. This feels very, very, very rhetorical and reminiscent of last summer. And even before that, the WrestleMania match. I mean, it's just over and over and over and over again. It's another thing that felt very Vince-like on this show, which just like, man... I don't care if we repeat some of the same stuff on a weekly basis, like Heyman telling the Usos to go sit in the plane. That doesn't bother me that much because it is just a slow burn to what we know is coming where the bloodline eventually splits up. And I want it to be a slow burn. But going back to that line after, you know, it's been months and months and months after that storyline has ended, I wasn't a super big fan of it. Next, Bianca Belair comes to the ring and praises Asuka as one of the best she's ever wrestled and says that she has now three-peated at WrestleMania. Rhea Ripley interrupts. Ripley says Belair is lucky because she decided to challenge Charlotte Flair instead of Bianca Belair, but she promises that she will get back to this as in beating Bianca Belair. Ripley exits the ring, and as she's exiting the ring, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez come down, and then Raquel stops for a quick face-off with Ripley, which is kind of what Donnie was alluding to. He's hoping that Raquel and Rhea um, end up challenging each other for the SmackDown Women's Championship, which I agree. I think that'll be great. 
After that, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez defeat Dakota Kai and Io Sky to become the number one contenders for the women's tag titles. They will have a match next week against Becky Lynch and Lita on Raw. Next, The Miz comes down to the ring and asks everyone if they enjoyed WrestleMania 39. And he knows they did because WrestleMania was full of The Miz. He thought he might roast some people or do this and do that as the host, but he did not think he would have three matches. He goes on about how Snoop Dogg put him in situations against Pat McAfee and George Kittle and Shane McMahon and even Snoop himself. And The Miz says he beat Shane so bad that he couldn't even finish the match, which for those of you who didn't watch WrestleMania, which what I would guess would be about zero of you, Shane McMahon tore his quad in his impromptu match against The Miz, which was pretty wild to watch. None of us knew in my house what was going on. I mean, we knew that Shane was hurt, especially based off the camera angles. And we knew that Snoop Dogg done incredible in covering up what had just happened, or at least to the best of his ability. Came in, knocked The Miz out, and then hit the worst rock bottom in the history of rock bottoms on The Miz. But it was hilarious. And then he pinned Miz and they kind of one, two, three. So pretty entertaining stuff. Matt Riddle ends up interrupting the Miz. Cool to see him back. I'm glad he's back after whatever he was going through, uh, suspension or rehab or whatever the rumors were. I don't know. You could guess an injury. I don't, none of us actually know. Nobody actually knows. People think they know and they may be correct in guessing, but nobody actually knows. Ends up with Riddle and Miz having a little scuffle, and Riddle ends up hitting the Miz with a bro, Derek. Then it was time for the main event, finally. During the introductions, they introduce Roman and Solo, and then they introduce Brock. And then during Cody's introduction, as soon as he turns around, Brock hits him with an F5, and then just continues to beat the hell out of Cody with chairs and going through the announcer's table. And then he finishes off with an F5 on top of the steel steps that he had thrown in the ring. He's chasing agents around the ring and running everybody off. And then the show ends with Brock giving double middle fingers to the camera. So if you ask me, there was one, count it, one entertaining thing that happened on the entire three-hour show that was Monday Night Raw this week. Again, I don't want this podcast to sound like a Vince McMahon hate podcast because that is not what I'm attempting to do. But if he is the one that wrote this show, he needs to go back to doing whatever he was doing that is like higher level stuff because they do need Vince around for those kind of things. Or at least I would think so. I mean, kind of thinking about it now that I've just said that, Nick Khan does such a good job. I'm sure him and Vince have different roles, and I get that. And I don't understand the business structure as much as I probably should to be hosting a wrestling podcast where I do talk about some of the business side of things. But I'm sure they need Vince around, right? There's a reason he came back other than just to fuel his ego, or at least I would hope so. But he doesn't need to be in creative. If Triple H wrote this show, he needs to get back in tune with whatever he's been doing the past eight months. He doesn't need to be this guy that writes Raws that have 35 minutes worth of wrestling. That's unacceptable. I mean, I don't know any wrestling fans that want to see what we saw Monday. We were robbed of not only just a regular weekly show, but we were robbed of the biggest Raw of the year. I get it. The roster has already got a lot of people on it. You can't just debut and debut and debut wrestlers. And I get that. 
And you can't just call up people from NXT relentlessly. And I get that because then you run into the situation like we had in years past where people come up from NXT and then they're just kind of doing nothing for a few months. I understand all of that. But when your only big things that happen on your show is Matt Riddle coming back, who's not that over. I mean, a lot of people like Matt Riddle. I like Matt Riddle okay enough. And then Brock turning on Cody. I mean, the Brock turning on Cody thing, if you think about it like this, if you would have had a decent Raw and then had Brock turn on Cody, it would have felt like a big Raw. But you had a bad Raw and then Brock turned on Cody and it still felt like a bad Raw. So, man, if you haven't watched Raw and you were think you got it recorded and you were thinking about going back and watching it, you can probably just skip it for real. I mean... I just gave you the rundown. I mean, you can go back and watch it if you feel the need to, but you could absolutely just skip it. Like I said at the top of the show, um, I did not watch AEW this week, so we're going to jump straight into SmackDown. SmackDown started with a match and not a promo. Already feeling very un-Vince McMahon-like writing of the show. It started with the Brawling Brutes defeating Imperium in a pretty solid match. Next, there was a backstage segment where Kayla Braxton is with Paul Heyman and Solo Sokoa. Kayla asks Heyman if he knows why Brock Lesnar attacked Cody Rhodes. Heyman wants to talk about something far more relevant, your tribal chief, and the fact that the bloodline main evented both nights of WrestleMania all thanks to Roman Reigns. Jey Uso interrupts him and says he's looking for Jimmy because he hasn't seen him all night. And Heyman says that Roman wanted Jimmy to stay home as main event Jey Uso takes on Sami Zayn and takes him out all by himself, cementing his legacy on the island of relevancy. So again, you know, we talk about things that are repetitive. This feels kind of repetitive. You know, Jimmy needs to stay at the house or whatever, you know, like stuff they've done before. But it doesn't feel overdone because it means something. You can tell Roman has a, you know, a negative feeling towards the Usos right now. So he's going to continue to put them in negative situations. And it's slowly going to build to something. I don't care about the slow burn. I actually prefer the slow burn. I don't want it all shoved down my throat at once. So this is fine. You know, just I'm just trying to make sure that we don't get twisted on, well, you were a fan of this, but not of this. And it seems very much like the same thing. When in all reality, it's not the same thing. And then the second match of the night, Ricochet defeated Ivar. I was just really happy to see Ricochet pick up a singles win. It's been a while. I like Ricochet. He's very entertaining. So it was cool to see. Backstage, Kevin Owens is talking to Sami Zayn about how after tonight they will be done with the bloodline and Sami says he feels like something is off and he doesn't know how to explain it, but something just feels off and says he needs to go talk to Jey Uso. Kevin tells Sami it's a bad idea and Sami agrees with him, but he still thinks he needs to go talk to Jay, and then he ends up just walking off. Raquel Rodriguez and Liv Morgan defeat Natalia and Shotzi. In a pretty quick match, next was Xavier Woods and L.A. Knight setting up a match for next week. After they had words backstage and L.A. Knight ends up breaking Xavier Woods' video game controller that he was playing WWE 2K23 with. Maybe he's the one that won my free copy of WWE 2K23. Who knows? Triple H announces that the draft is returning next week and then he introduces Rhea Ripley. Before we get to that, 
they announced that Triple H was going to be on SmackDown and that he's going to make a big announcement. And everybody online was saying, we don't know what it is. And somebody would suggest, well, maybe it's the draft. And all the dirt sheet writers were like, it's not the draft. It's definitely not the draft. Well, it was the draft. So <laughs> yet another example of why, I mean, if you want to use the dirt sheet writers for information and you know that, okay, well, this may not be true. This can be entertaining, but it may not be true. Have fun with it. But this is yet another prime example of why you can't put 100% faith in some of the things they say because it was said a number of times, it's not the draft. They're not going to announce the draft for a little while. And then here we go. The next day or that night, even for some of those people, the draft is announced. As far as the draft is concerned, I like the brand split. I think it's good. I think it helps get more people on TV. It helps you create more of those long-standing storylines because you're not having the same thing on Mondays as you are on Fridays. I would assume that the bloodline ends up kind of being more SmackDown-focused eventually. I don't see them splitting up the bloodline at all. I mean, they could. They, I mean, anything is possible in these drafts. But I would assume that all four members of the Bloodline stay on SmackDown. If they split anybody off, I would assume that it's going to be Solo Sokoa going to Raw. I would like to see Solo standing standing on his own two feet, man. I mean, how cool would that be? How cool would it be to see Solo Sokoa, the U.S. champion, or Solo Sokoa, the Universal champion, or whatever it ends up being? I mean, that would be so cool to me. Again, I'm such a big fan of his. Getting back to Rhea Ripley coming down to the ring. She is flanked by the Judgment Day. All four members are here. Rhea says, Sports entertainment changed forever at WrestleMania because she did the impossible. She destroyed and dethroned Charlotte Flair. Ripley calls on everyone to rise for her. And then Finn Balor brings up Edge and says, Edge is some kind of sicko for splitting open his head to get a W. I was going to cover every match on WrestleMania in the high spot this week, but I chose to not do that because I feel like this podcast is going to run long. I would dare to say the second worst match on the entire WrestleMania card that wasn't one of those um, Miz versus whoever matches. The second worst match on the card was probably the Hell in the Cell to me. I mean, the sh it just missed, man. It just missed bad for me. I don't know if it's because of the stoppage, because... They did have to stop the match because Edge threw a ladder at Finn Balor and he kind of missed it and it definitely split his head wide open. I think he had to get 16 staples put in his head during the match. So maybe that killed all the momentum. I don't know, but the match just was not very good in my eyes, especially because, I mean, Donnie said that was one of his three highest, you know, matches that he was looking forward to last week on the podcast. So I don't know, man, it just wasn't very good to me. Dominic begins to speak, but keeps getting interrupted by the fans. Dominic may get more heat than anybody in pro wrestling right now. So it was very entertaining to see him in the ring. He tries to speak a couple more times, but keeps getting interrupted by loud boos and the fans chanting, you suck. Dominic says he pulled back his punches on Ray because he couldn't hurt his dad and because he loves him and says that he can't say the same for his dad. Dominic says the fans and his family can go to hell and take Bad Bunny and his friends with you. Damian Priest speaks in Spanish to Bad Bunny and hopes Bunny can find it in his heart to forgive Priest because Priest forgives Bunny for making him do what he did to him on Raw. 
Then the new LWO comes out, and Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio defeat Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar. During the match, Zelina Vega and Rhea got some physicality in, so maybe Zelina Vega is Rhea Ripley's first opponent now that she's champion. If that's the case, I'm totally cool with it. Zelina Vega is not bad in the ring at all, so maybe that's what we get. Next was a video package for Shinsuke Nakamura announcing that he's coming back next week. I'm pretty excited for that. For those of you, again, I know that there's several of you who are kind of lapsed fans that are kind of just now getting back into wrestling. If you haven't seen Shinsuke Nakamura wrestle, you're in for a treat. He is very, very, very good in the ring. He's very charismatic. He has a great moveset. And he can display a lot of emotions without saying anything. I know I was talking about Asuka on the podcast last week, or maybe the week before, about how there's a language barrier. There's a language barrier with Shinsuke as well, but I think that he's able to evoke just slightly more, um, I don't know, emotion and charisma just by the way that he wrestles. I mean, he's just incredibly entertaining. Not taking anything away from Asuka. I don't want it to sound like I was hating on Asuka a couple weeks ago, but... The language barrier is there, and it kind of sucks for her because, again, speaking of WrestleMania matches, her and Bianca Belair put on a very, very good match. It's not in my top five matches that I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, but it was very good. But we all knew that going in. We all knew that Bianca Belair versus Oscar was going to be a good match. So we never said otherwise. We just said the story sucked real bad. Backstage, Sami Zayn approaches Jay Uso. Jimmy says, if Jay doesn't want to talk, that's fine. But Sami has one thing to say before they go out. And it's the same thing he's been saying for months. You know there's a way out of all this for both of us. And Sami points to how everything he said has happened. The bloodline is crumbling down. Jimmy Uso isn't here. Roman Reigns is mad at Jay. Paul Heyman is selling him lies. Sola Sokoa looks at Jay like he could drop the hammer at any moment. Sammy says he will keep beating sense into Jay if he needs to, and he'll do it tonight and next week until he gets it in his head. But he's telling Jay that this is not how it has to be. And then you hear a bunch of loud noises and pipes falling and all kinds of stuff in the background, and then you see that Solo Sokoa has attacked Kevin Owens. And the main event of the night, Main event, Jay Uso defeats Sami Zayn with an assist from Solo Sokoa. Solo attacks Sami while Jay watches from the corner. And Solo picks Sami up for the Samoan spike. But Jay grabs his arm to stop him. And the crowd pops huge. More of this Jay not really knowing what's going on. If he's going to be bloodline or if he's not. But then Jay and Solo face off. And Jay suddenly super kicks Sami. Jay sends Solo to get a steel chair, but Matt Riddle comes in and clears out the ring, and Sammy and Riddle stand tall in the ring at the end of the show. So SmackDown was quite a bit better than Raw. And then again, we go to the rumor mill, and apparently Vince McMahon was not there tonight. Again, it's making it really hard for me to believe that Vince wasn't the problem on Monday. So, we'll see what happens going forward. I mean, it very well could be that Triple H just wrote a bad Raw. Okay, guys? Let's not rule that completely out. It just kind of feels like that might not be the case. 
It is now time for the high spot of the week. And this week's high spot is the top five matches from WrestleMania 39. So this is completely subjective, as all my lists are. And while speaking on this, I want to just say that these five matches, there are a couple matches that could argue to be higher than some of these matches. I know that Donnie and another one of my friends that was over my house thought that the Dominic Mysterio and Rey Mysterio match deserved to be up on this list, if not like in the number two or three spot. And it's hard to argue against that. Um, I thought they put on a very good match and they definitely had the best spot of the weekend. The move where Rey came running at Dom and Dom turned him a front flip and then threw him into the lower turnbuckle. Man, that was wild. I'm sure there's a name for that move. If not, I mean, I've never seen the move before, so it could just be, you know, new move number one on Dominic's <laughs> move list, I guess. But, yeah, it was incredible. Um, So that's going to give my honorable mention for this list. In the number five spot, I have Seth Rollins defeating Logan Paul. Again, you guys knew that Seth Rollins was going to be on this list. Come on, you knew that. I just thought the match was really good, honestly. I think, in my eyes, it deserves to be on this list no matter what. Um, I think Meltzer gave it like four and a half stars, so he thought pretty highly of it, too. I'm not the only one. Four and a half stars, I think that's what, like, the first Sean and Undertaker match got. So either, and this wasn't Sean and Undertaker one. Let's not get it twisted. I mean, this wasn't that good of a match, but I thought it was very good. Um, so according to Meltzer's rating system, though, I think it was about the same. Seth and Logan set out, man. They set out to steal the show. They they gave it their all. There was a lot of cool spots in this match. The spot with KSI standing there, you know, vlogging Seth Rollins on top of the Spanish announcer's table as Logan was going to do the frog splash down onto him. And then Seth grabbing KSI and pulling him in the way. I thought it was a really unique, really cool spot. Something I didn't really see coming until it was actually happening. There was a lot of good psychology in the match. Seth Rollins is a lot like Triple H. His matches start kind of slow at WrestleMania, and then they build and build and build to a climax, and then they go home, and all feels right in the world. All Seth Rollins matches at WrestleMania feel that way, except for maybe the WrestleMania 35 match with Brock, where they just started out before the match even technically started, beating the hell out of each other and then got in the ring and done the actual two or three minute long match. It's just the way Seth Rollins works, man. And it's like my favorite wrestling style. I don't need you to start off the match with 17 Tope Suicidas. It's not my style. I like starting slow. I like working on the opponent and then getting to your spots and then going to the house. So I thought it was a really good match. I got it in the number five spot. The number four spot, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens defeating the Usos. This match was arguably not as good in the ring, but the storyline was better. So as the match was happening, I felt a lot more emotion in the match. So to me, this match goes in the number four spot. As far as the match itself is concerned, Man, they told a beautiful story. I mean, the storyline going in just felt like it carried on into the match, which is the the pinnacle of pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is have a story coming in and then tell that same story throughout the match and then get to the end of the match and have a conclusion to that storyline 
or at least a turning of the page getting us to the next chapter in that storyline. And that is exactly what Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn done against the Usos. One thing I want to say about this match is I tend to be a prisoner of the moment. I tend to way overreact about everything, but this is something that's kind of been on my brain for at least the past two or three years. And then the Usos went on their historic tag title run, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, that the Usos, Jimmy and Jay Uso as a tag team, are the greatest tag team of all time. There, I just pissed off some people. I think the Usos are so good. And I think it is so great that they finally got their WrestleMania main event. This was the first time in the history of WrestleMania that the tag titles were defended in a main event match. If that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the importance of this match, then I don't know what else to say. This was only the second main event that was a tag team match. So this storyline was so good coming in that they felt the need to put it in the main event of WrestleMania. And then as the match is going on, they're continuing to tell the story, and it's all going so well. And then shout out to Sami Zayn, man. At the end of this match, it gets to a culmination point. And instead of just rushing into these final three or four finishers that they hit, Sami Zayn takes a step back and lets the, cl- the crowd's emotion just build and build. And for those watching it at home, we got to see his facial expressions. And Sammy was just on a hundred, man. He was just perfect for this. His face told the entire story about how everything that he had been through over the past year, man. Everything that Roman Reigns and the Usos and the Bloodline had put him through. It was all coming to a boil in this moment. And then he hits three Huluba kicks and they go to the house. Man, it was masterful storytelling. I think Dave gave this one five stars. So Dave thought it was the perfect match. I mean, I guess, I don't know. His, his rating system used to just be five stars. And then I think it got up to like seven. But you get what I'm saying. It was, man, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal. Number three on the list was the main event of night. Two, Roman Reigns defeats Cody Rhodes for the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. You know, actually, I think they call it the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Whatever. There's so many words in that. Um, I'm pretty sure I've said that incorrect like seven times on this podcast, but it was another beautiful piece of storytelling. I guess you might see a trend on here. These guys. For one, just to just go ahead and skip straight to the finish, did anybody expect Roman Reigns to win this match? I mean, did anybody expect Roman Reigns to win this match? I mean, I guess we all kind of thought that it was a possibility, but it just felt like the story was just roped, man. I mean, it just felt like, oh man, what a beautiful moment it's going to be. I think earlier in the day, I told um, one of my friends that was over the house to watch WrestleMania, yeah, man, I'm thinking about building some cornhole boards and, uh, you know, I'm thinking about going ahead and just making some WWE themed ones. And on one side, I'm going to have Seth Rollins at the top of the ramp, um, from WrestleMania 31, slinging the belt around his head. 
And then on the other one, I'm going to get the picture from later tonight where Cody Rhodes is holding up both of the uh, the big titles. <laughs> I mean, I was just that sure of it. I was just so sure that Cody was winning. But here's the thing that they done. Here's the thing. At the end of the match, we're all sitting there, right? Everything's taking place. The match was long and it was good. Um, a great wrestling match. Just so great. We're all sitting there and we're just kind of sitting in silence. Everybody in my house is just kind of sitting in silence. And I'm clearly a mark for Cody Rhodes, right? I mean, as much as I talk about Seth Rollins, it's almost equal for Cody Rhodes. And my friend looks over at me and he starts laughing because I'm just sitting there kind of dumbfounded and not in a bad way. But for somebody who thinks they know enough about wrestling to host a wrestling podcast, to be completely swerved and it go over so well, I think that WWE done a really good job. I mean, I think that they <laughs> they got me and not in the way where it's like they got me and I'm mad about it. Or they got me and I think it was dumb. I don't know that it was. I still don't know if it was the right move. Um, but that's the cool thing about wrestling is we get to find out going forward. Wrestling is never ending. There's no season finale. There's no, the show's getting canceled and this is the end kind of thing. Wrestling is evergreen. And Triple H said it in the press conference afterwards. He was like, it was right in front of y'all's faces the whole time. You know, the whole thing going into this was finish the story. But the story never finishes in the WWE. It never ends. Which I thought was kind of corporate of Triple H. I mean, come on, dude. Just say that you felt like this was the better move to make. But, yeah, it was it was incredible. And it's a night that I will remember for maybe ever. A very long time, for sure. And, but the weird thing is, is you know, what? where does Cody Rhodes go? I mean, obviously, I've already covered Raw from this week, so... He's moving on to Brock next. But does this string out all the way until next year's WrestleMania? Or is this end at SummerSlam? Or or what are we getting here? You know? I mean, and that's that's encouraging, right? Like, that's what you want as a wrestling fan. I know there were some fans that were pissed. Like, oh, I'm never watching wrestling again. They, they had their chance and all this kind of stuff. And they did. They did have their chance. They had their chance for a perfect WrestleMania moment. But they foregone that they, they they passed that up to lead to another moment and not only lead to another moment but lead to more of the bloodline who i mean just kill it in merch kill it in financials you know roman reigns said the other day on somebody's podcast and i apologize to whoever it is i, I think it was maybe ariel hawani or somebody like that he said no wrestler in the history of pro wrestling has had a billion dollar year. And Roman Reigns has had three of them. Man, that should kind of tell you everything you need to know about the company's faith in Roman Reigns, right? I mean, the dude runs the freaking show. And I get it. The machine that is the WWE can drive itself. As far as... The booking goes for WWE. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care if, you know, if in my opinion that Vince McMahon's booking right now and he's booking WWE into a hole, I could take over booking for WWE. And I'm not a booker and I would book the crap out of WWE and it would be the worst TV show you've ever seen before in your life. 
and it would still turn over money. It would still be a cash cow. It would still be worth, you know, billions of dollars. That's just what the WWE is, man. But Roman Reigns being at the helm of it, not a bad guy to have sitting there. The match itself between Roman and Cody. I mean, I think, personally, I think you should go back and watch all of WrestleMania. If you're going to go back and watch five matches, that's kind of what I've laid out for you here, is five matches that I think you should go back and watch. But if you were thinking, man, I'm probably just going to go back and catch that Roman Reigns match, definitely do it. Definitely do it. I don't know how you've been so busy that you haven't watched WrestleMania over the past week if you didn't catch it live. But if you haven't up to this point, go do it. It was a great match. In the number two spot, and I really wrestled with two and one. I'm still thinking on it as I'm actually doing this. I have them listed out. I'm just going to go with what my list is here because apparently that's what I felt for um, a few days. But in the number two spot is Gunther defeating Drew McIntyre and Sheamus to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Meltzer also gave this one five stars. And I do not know why I continue to talk about Meltzer's rating system after I've just crapped on it. Um... I think it's just kind of a good judge of he's kind of what uh, the internet marks uh, think about wrestling. And if they think it's good and I think it's good, then it's probably good. If we both agree on it, then it's it's probably some top-tier stuff. Gunther, man. You know, I seen a podcast with him this week. Um, this one was with Ariel Hawani. I will give him his credit this time because I'm for sure that it was him. He asked Gunther, and I think this was before the match, but he asked Gunther, he said, where is Gunther next year at WrestleMania 40? And Gunther said in the main event, it's kind of hard to argue that after watching this match. Man, this match was everything we thought it was going to be and more. I mean, I don't know how else I can say this. You know, whenever I was describing this match and telling you why you would want to watch it on last week's podcast with Donnie, I just kept saying, they're just going to beat the hell out of each other. They're going to beat the hell out of each other. Well, guess what, everybody? They beat the hell out of each other. I mean, everybody's chest looked like hamburger meat. Everybody was just battered and bruised, and they just... But at the same time, it wasn't just three big meaty men slapping meat. It was another story told in the ring. You got the Seamus and Drew thing. You got the Seamus and Gunther thing. You got some physicality between Drew and Gunther, but to be honest, there wasn't a whole lot of story there. The story was Seamus and Drew... Sheamus and Gunther, and then Drew just wanting to get back into relevance by winning the Intercontinental title. But yeah, man, they just, they went at it. They truly, truly went at it. They gave us everything we ever wanted out of this match. And Gunther retains and is on to another day of getting closer and closer to breaking the Honky Tonk Man's record and becoming the longest-reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. And I am all for that. In the number one slot was a match that, you know, when we were talking about it, I was like, yeah, it's going to be a great match. It's going to be a great match. But as the match was going on, as it was happening, we were talking about how great it was. As the match was happening, we were like, holy crap. Are you watching this? Are you are you seeing this? You know, everybody in my house is like, are you are you seeing this? It was that good. You talking about? I just talked about how Gunther and Drew McIntyre and Sheamus beat the hell out of each other. Man, 
Rhea and Charlotte, they beat the hell out of each other. Everything leading into this match was, you know, it feels real. It feels like there's a lot of actual true animosity between these two people. It feels like this is not just some wrestling TV show. It feels like two women that think they belong on top and they're going to do whatever it takes to get to the top slash stay on top. And that's what we got in the match. Again, you know, three of these matches, and I would argue to say the other two as well, but three of these matches definitely, they took the story coming into the match and they let that same story play out through the match. And that's what made it so great. And then on top of that, they had a good wrestling match. If there's one thing that I could kind of, I wish I could get through wrestling fans' skulls on fans like me. You know, a lot of times fans like me are, oh, you just like that wrestling a certain way. And, and I don't understand why you don't see it my way. It's not that. I think everybody should enjoy wrestling in their own way. But this, if you want to know why I like and prefer certain styles of wrestling, all you have to do is watch these five matches. You know, if you know the storylines coming into these five matches, watch these five matches, and you'll understand why I love the style of pro wrestling that I do. There was a spot in this Rhea and Charlotte match where things just kept getting a little bit more physical and a little bit more physical and a little bit more physical. And Rhea goes for a German suplex on Charlotte and ends up dropping her directly on her face. Which, again, let me start out by saying this, not good, right? You know, we don't like dangerous stuff in wrestling whenever it's clearly dangerous and wasn't meant to happen. And it's it almost felt like a botch. But it played out like it wasn't a botch. Because Charlotte got up and the canvas... The, the rigid canvas had scraped her nose and there was a little blood there and you could tell she was pissed off like really actually true Ashley Fleer the woman who is playing Charlotte Flair is actually pissed about this the match continues to build the match continues to build Rhea hits a riptide from the second turnbuckle and then we go to the house and one of the things that happened was Rhea bent over during that and whispered in Charlotte's ear, thank you. And after the match, Charlotte, this is kind of where the storytelling died. Charlotte gets out of the ring and she literally can't help but smile. She knows they made history. She knows that they just put on the greatest WrestleMania match in women's history. It's not even close, guys. I don't care what your favorite WrestleMania match is between women. This one was the best one. I won't argue with anybody on it. We're not talking about it. This is the greatest women's WrestleMania match of all time. And Charlotte knew it when she got out of the ring. And she was happy for Rhea. And she's smiling, looking up at her. And Rhea just looks like a total badass in the ring. One of her gauges got ripped out in the match. She's standing there. She's beaten. She's battered. She's bruised. But she's holding the gold. And that was a perfect ending to that storyline and that match. And I'm so excited that we got that. And I'm so excited that we got to see that. Um, it was perfect. 
That's the end of the high spot of the week. That's the end of my WrestleMania coverage. I'm sure we will, we will continue to talk about WrestleMania going forward. And I can't wait to get into WrestleMania 40 next year. Um, my goal is to actually go again. So fingers crossed, everybody out there. Let's let's hope and pray that I get to go back to WrestleMania next year. Because although it was cool watching it from the house for the first time in a long time, not where I like to be sitting whenever WrestleMania is happening. So let's hope I get back to it next year. It is now time for the main event of the evening. And this week's main event, we're talking about Endeavor. The company that bought out UFC in 2016 has taken a 51% ownership stake of the WWE, now making Endeavor the majority shareholder of the WWE. And the WWE is now Endeavor. I mean, that's as simple as I can make it. I mean, there's it's still its own brand. It's still called WWE, but it is owned by somebody else. It is no longer the McMahon family business. There was an interview done by, I think it was CSNBC or one of those news coverage places. And in the interview, Ari Emanuel, who is the CEO of Endeavor, and Vince McMahon announced the sale. And Vince said that he would have some input on the top end of creative again, but wouldn't be in the weeds, as he worded it. And that was clearly not the case on Raw this week. But, you know, it is what it is at this point, right? I mean, I think we've hammered that, the, the head of that nail enough at this point. He said he wasn't going to get involved. Monday, I felt like he was very involved. Tonight, which I'm recording this after SmackDown. I'm actually recording this at 1.30 in the morning after SmackDown. But after SmackDown went off the air, it certainly felt like maybe he didn't have as big of a role in SmackDown. Vince is going to be the executive chairman of the board for Endeavor, and Nick Khan will continue as the president on the WWE side of things. We all know that Dana White is the president of the UFC. Here's the thing about Endeavor, okay? We don't know what to expect with Endeavor. Nobody does. But if we had to take a guess, we could look at the UFC. And they've done a ton of good for the UFC. They've clearly grown the UFC as a company and made a ton of money for the UFC. They seem to have a very hands-off approach with the UFC whenever it comes to the nuts and bolts side of things. They let Dana kind of take care of all that and say what you want about Dana, but Dana does a good job, if you ask me. I mean, I'm a very casual UFC fan. I'll buy the John Jones fights. I'll buy the McGregor fights to see him lose. I'll buy the uh, Israel Adesanya fights sometimes. But yeah, I mean... It just is what it is. They don't seem to have a lot of, you know, control. They don't try to control Dana and what he's doing, which is what I hope goes down with Triple H. I really don't want anything to change, but it seems, uh, you know, it kind of already seems like they may have taken a turn for the worse. Here's the thing uh, that I want to say on the Endeavor purchase of the WWE that is really kind of worrying me. I don't want there to be a whole lot of crossover. Now, that sounds weird because just a few weeks ago, I was talking about celebrities in wrestling. And this, you know, you could consider this celebrities. You could consider UFC stars celebrities of sorts. I don't want to see UFC stars in the WWE. And I don't want to hear the UFC stars start talking about the WWE all the time because I feel like most of it's going to be negative. I don't. 
I mean, I don't mind maybe like guys like uh, Daniel Cormier or those guys that are clearly WWE fans coming over and doing commentary on a match or coming in and maybe doing like one storyline, like a one-off take or whatever. Or, or if they want to go to the PC, learn how to wrestle, and then learn the actual acting part of wrestling where they got to come out and they got to cut promos and they got to make it feel believable. If they want to go through all of that, cool. But we've seen it with Ronda and how well is that working out? I mean, Ronda's a big money draw, but boy, is she freaking bad in the wrestling ring. She's not good anymore. Her best days are long behind her and she is terrible on a microphone. Just awful so that's the things that's the things i don't want to see now some things i do want to see is i want to see cross promotion in the aspect of like i want to see whenever michael cole's cutting back and forth in between matches and he's normally advertising mountain dew i want to see him say ufc 289 coming this weekend to you live on pay-per-view or whatever you know the hell he's going to say same thing for the ufc you know before um, Joe Rogan and his squad go to the next match. I'd love for them to say, you know, don't forget Money in the Bank is going to be live from the United Kingdom this weekend or whatever kind of advertisement they're going to do. That's the stuff I do want to see. Something else I'm not looking forward to is I think the days of $5 pay-per-views are going to be behind us in the next couple of years. I could see that whenever this Peacock contract is up, which I should have looked up before we started this podcast, but whenever that contract is up, I could see us having to pay $80 for pay-per-views again. It's just part of the business, man. I mean, we've seen it with UFC. If you want to watch UFC pay-per-view, you got to pay 80 bucks. I mean, that's just all there is to it, unless you're streaming it illegally, which for those of you who do that, eh, you know, to each their own. But... Yeah, I mean, I'm not looking forward to having to pay $80 to watch Backlash or, you know, not this year's Backlash, obviously, but you get what I'm saying. Like these C-list style pay-per-views that I feel the need to watch because I love wrestling, it's going to suck to pay 80 bucks for those. So, all in all, I think that this Endeavor purchase is a good thing. I also want to say, shout out to Vince McMahon, okay? He bought this company in 1983 or 84 for a million dollars. He just sold the company for 9.3 billion with a B dollars. That's what Vince McMahon just done. Although I think he only gets like 38% of that 9.3 billion added to his net worth. But you get what I'm saying. Dude went crazy on his return on investment. So. I think I should end the podcast talking about that. I think we've covered enough on the Endeavor thing. Um, We don't really know enough going forward to really get too deep into it. It sounds like they're going to try to leave things alone. So that's what we're hoping for. But Vince McMahon, man, shout out to him. He's had a bad couple of years. Um, A bad, well, I guess it's not a couple of years. Technically, it was 22 and 23, but it's only been going on for about eight or nine months. He's had a bad time, man. And, uh, What a W in his category to say, hey, you know, I made some mistakes. Whether he's truly remorseful or not, you know, that's up to him and uh, his conscience. And him and God will have a talk about that one day. 
But as far as his financial situation is concerned, boy, did he hit the freaking jackpot. You know, whenever Nick Khan first started saying, yeah, we're looking to sell, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't quiet about it. He was, yeah, we're looking to sell. I was hoping for Comcast or Disney or one of these companies. And then it was announced that it was sold to the Saudis. And then Nick Khan was like, that's just not true. And then, you know, here comes Endeavor and they sealed the deal. They actually went all in on WWE, which means they have a lot of confidence in it. It certainly doesn't hurt that WWE just had the weekend that they had. They just had the best weekend in the history of the company. So that should tell you something about the WWE right now and how wrestling is and the world that we live in and how big of a deal that it is. So congratulations to Vince, congratulations to the WWE, and congratulations to Endeavor. I think you got a hell of a product on your hands. So what about wrestling? 